few years ago, I was in the Oval Office having a personal and private conversation with the President, and I said something stupid. Now, unfortunately, I'm not unaccustomed to saying stupid stuff, but that's not a place you want to say something stupid. And let me, let me give you the setting of this. Um, we were having, as I said, we, did, we didn't talk about politics. You know, every time we talked, we talked about family, we talked about faith, and, 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 and so it was very personal. And I wanted to be close to him. And, and, and I wanted to, you know, have the nearness, you know, that befit the conversation. So, so I looked at him and said, can I call you Barack? Well, as soon as those words got out of my mouth, I was embarrassed. Now, in my defense, I got to tell you, it didn't, it, it didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, some months before, uh, we, had gone, we were going through a horrible family tragedy, and, and he called me up, and, and, he, and he started the conversation like this, Joel, this is Barack, and I want you to know that Michelle and I have been praying for you. Is there anything else that we can do for you? And I just lost it. I just lost it. And we for a moment reversed roles when he became my pastor. And he said, don't you lose your faith now. You remember who's got you now. It was a tenderest moment. And so it wasn't totally out of left field that I would ask this. And of course he said yes. And of course after that I never had the nerve to call him Barack. The reason that I bring it up to you tonight is because the reason that I knew it was dumb is because there's a principle that I want us all to, to learn. And the principle comes to the forefront in the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. This is the principle. There is no real intimacy without a show of proper respect. Let me say that again. There is no real intimacy without the demonstration of proper respect. Think of this for a moment. If God is love, then holiness is not goodness, it's closeness. And reverence and respect are not just proper, they are necessary for nearness. God's ultimate desire in wanting us to demonstrate the proper reverence for him is a close intimate relationship because he knows that our lives don't improve by us trying to get good. They improve when we have affection for him because what we love will change our behavior. Our decisions aren't made on our logic. Our decisions are made on our affections. Do you know that in this country there are 16 million kids 
they go to bed hungry every night because their families don't have the money to feed them. Now that would be shame enough if you, if you didn't realize the second fact that I'm about to tell you right now. We spend $60 billion a year on our pets. There's not a person that I know that would say the life of a child is not as important as the life of a pet. But we don't make our decisions on wanting to be better. We make our decisions on our affections. And we love our pets. And so as God proclaims this first petition, hallowed be your name. Jesus taught us to say that to God. We want to make your name holy. We want to remember your name is holy. We want to set you apart. It's not so that there can be greater distance, but better, better, better closeness. Better closeness. It's important for us to realize that the church is kind of messed up on the whole holiness thing. I've got to admit, I've been a pastor for 47 years, about to quit that in a little bit. But I was part of this. I was part of this. I confess this. Somehow we've equated holiness with religious mechanics, with, with, with having the right stance on dogma or with, with practicing, you know, our religiosity in the right way. And people say, well, if you practice it this way, this is the holy way. When I was a, a little boy, I hope you don't mind in these last few sermons if I take a little jog down memory lane. When I was a little boy, um, my sister and I would stay at my grandmother and grandfather's house every Saturday night. And we would watch uh, Lawrence Welk with my grandmother. And then I would watch Saturday night, Gillette Saturday night fights with my grandfather. That's how I learned to be for the, for the underdog, by the way. I'd always say, Pop, who are we rooting for here in this match? And he'd say, well, the guy in the white trunks or the guy in the dark trunks or whatever. And then I'd say, why are we rooting for him? Because he's the underdog. You always root for the underdog, Joey. I learned that. And then we'd get up the next morning and my grandmother would take us to First Methodist Church, Shelby, Ohio, where... As I've said before, all the ladies wore fruit on their hats. And all the men wore pinstripes on their suits. And almost all the time, I'd ask Pop, Pop, go to church with us. No, he'd say, got to stay home and watch the roast so it doesn't burn. And I could kind of tell that he wanted to go to church with us, but something was holding him back. And I never knew what it was. Years later, after both of them passed, I was talking with my Aunt Frances. Now, some of you remember my family history, and I had this charismatic Catholic aunt who just told everything, everybody she knew, everything she knew every time she got with us. With. And so, so she was just talking, just talking. That's how Aunt Frances was. She was talking, telling stories. And she looked at me, and one day she said, Joey, do you know why your grandfather never went to church? I said, no, I always wondered. 
She said, I'll tell you. Your grandfather was raised by a very strict religious mother who believed that the only legitimate baptism was being fully immersed. They were disciples of Christ, and you only immersed believers as adults in the water when they knew what they were doing. When your grandfather began to date a Methodist, she about had a heart attack. She was totally against it because Methodists baptized babies. Now, everybody knows, so do Catholics, by the way, everybody knows that the baptism isn't for salvation. It's celebrating the fact that put that baby in a Christian family so that when that baby comes of age, they for themselves can accept the gift of salvation. Everybody knows that. But Pop's mother was so against this match, even when they got married, very against this pairing. And so Aunt Frances looked at me and said, Joey, she said, your grandfather wouldn't go to church because he knew it was only a matter of time if he hung around church long enough, somebody would ask him what he believes about baptism. And he'd have to choose between his mother and his wife. Do you know how often people don't walk into a church because they believe someone's going to ask them an embarrassing question? If not about doctrine, maybe a question that will somehow make them choose between God and the people they love. Did you, you know that? See, we've gone about this holiness thing in not the right way. We meant well, but holiness is about closeness. And to be close, we need to learn to revere God. There's a reason why in the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments about revering God. I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of slavery. You will alone worship me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto yourself any graven images, nor bow down to them, nor worship them. You understand how important that is. And then the next line is, you shall not take the Lord, name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, I, now, before we get there, let's just stay on the positives for a second. I'm going to give you three things to remember tonight about reverencing God so that you can have the close relationship you wanted. Because remember, there's no real intimacy without proper respect. And this goes... By the way, not just for God, but with people. You will not be close with people unless you show them respect, unless you treat them respectfully. And you will not be close with people unless you won't let them treat you disrespectfully. We'll get there in a minute. But let me, let me, let me first go to the positive note here. It says in Psalm 99, verse 9, it says, exalt the Lord, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill 
for holy is the Lord our God. So it it gets us in a position where we want to lift God up. Why? Because we want to be close to a God like that. We want to be close. Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's, it's, it's not about just making us feel low. It's about wanting to go high with him. The same is true, by the way, in human relationships, as I just said. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, this is what it says. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. Honor one another in honor. In other words, if you want to have a successful relationship, you need to treat each other with honor. You need to, you need to, you need to, remember what I said last week about righteousness. Righteousness is a disadvantage in yourself for the sake of another. The disadvantage in yourself for the sake of another. That's what Jesus showed us. That's how Jesus lived. And so let's, let's stay for just a second on this exalting part, Okay. In in Psalm 96, verse 9, it says, Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Let me tell you another story of my past that still affects my present. I know that when I approach somebody, I need to approach somebody that, that shows them respect. That shows them that I esteem them. That's that's. That's how, you, that's how you build relationships. Do you know why I still wear ties? When the most popular pastors in the United States have Hawaiian shirts and blue jeans on, it's not just because I'm old school, although I am old school. It's because I learned a lesson from a little 16-year-old African-American girl in my first church. Becky and I were sent by the bishop to a church in southern Indiana. And there was, there was, this, there was this girl, her name was Gail Priestley. I'll never forget her. And, 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 and she was coming into the church one day. And she was a pretty little thing. And, and, and so I, I just wanted to make conversation just to, you know, kind of get to know her. And, and so she came in, she saw me. She said, oh, hello, Reverend Hunter. And I said, hello. And, and, I, and I looked at her and I said, Gail. You're about that age. Are you dating anybody yet? She said, just Jesus. Well, I just started laughing. But she wasn't laughing. And I said, what do you mean? She said, every Saturday night, I get all fixed up. I take a, I take a, a bath and I... And I smell good and I climb into my best clothes and then I go and put my makeup on the best I can possibly look. And then I go in my room and I have a date with Jesus. And I talk with him and I pray to him. And I said, Gail, that's one of the sweetest things I've ever heard. But I got a question for you. If it's just you, why do you get all dressed up? I'll never forget this. She looked at me and she said, don't you think he deserves that? Now, I don't think it matters to God how you dress. 
but it matters to me how I dress when I'm in a worship service. It matters to me because of what I learned from a little 16-year-old African-American girl. She still is guiding my life as I approach God. Reverence the Lord. Exalt the Lord. And then the second one is this. Don't treat the Lord as profane. See, as I said, this next commandment, right after I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make any graven images, for I, the Lord, am your God, am a jealous God. And then he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name, remember what we're talking about, holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. You shall not take the name of your Lord God in, uh, in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now, I want to tell you something here. This isn't just talking about cursing. Although some of y'all got to learn, the, you know, God's last name isn't damn it. Uh, you just got to learn that. This is not just about cussing. Profanity is treating what is holy and exalted like it's every day. And I realize, again, what you're doing. When you say, I, you know, I've been talking with a man upstairs. Well, I get that. You're trying to be close to him. I, I understand that. Just like I was trying to be close to the president. I get that. But that doesn't get you close. That does not get you close. He's not a man and he's not upstairs. He's God. And until we treat him like that, we won't be punished. God, God not going to smack you. Don't, you know, if you get in a car accident the, same, the next day, you can't, don't say, well, it's because I used his name in vain. That's not the way he works. Here's our punishment. We don't have the relationship with him that we want or what we were made for. As a matter of fact, it says this in, in Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me read a few of these verses for you. This will take just a minute, but I want you to see a pattern here. When we go into the world and we don't treat God as exalted and we don't, we don't talk about him as if he is holy. Well, it says this. When they came to the nations where they went. He's talking about believers in him. His people. They profaned my holy name because it was, said, it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord. Yet they have come out of his land. But I had a concern for my holy name, which was the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, I'm about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned. How many times can God say the word profane in, in a couple of verses? Well, you can count them. Among the nations where you went, I will vindicate my holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among all the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. See, God's not just interested or not just concerned about our relationship with him. God's concerned about what others will think of him when they see us. 
when they see us, how, how we treat him, how we speak of him, how we go along with silly jokes about God. That doesn't present them with a God that they want to get close to or that they would respect. You know, I've been thinking about what I'm leaving you with after 32 years. I don't spend a lot of time in regret, so I don't really think about that stuff very much, although I've made some mistakes. Sorry. But I think about the good stuff. And one of the things I'm glad about after 32 years is that I leave you with the dignity of the office of senior pastor. You never have needed to be embarrassed about me. I have never acted the buffoon. You may not have always agreed with me, but, and I say that, I'm not, I, I want you to know why I did it. It was always about so that you would think highly of God. Because if I represented him in a silly way, then you would think less of him. You know, there's a lot of people that, that think it's fun to bring people down to my level so that they can get close, except it never works. Bringing people down so that you can get close never works. And I can tell you as a pastor, there were plenty of ways, you know, that, 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 that I was asked to, you know, just come on, you know, just be normal, you know, go in the dunking tank, pastor. You know, if you go in the dunking tank, we can earn a lot of money for the church. But I never went in the dunking tank. Because God deserves more dignity than that. When I was young in the ministry, especially rural churches, had these terribly embarrassing things that they would ask their pastors to do. And one of them was this, that at Christmas time or some other time that they wanted to give to their pastor, they would wrap him up in toilet paper. And then after they got him wrapped up in toilet paper, they would stick money in the toilet paper. And they asked me to do that. And I tell you, I had to think about it a minute because we were broke. We had no money. We kept diving down into the couch just in case we missed some of the change. But I was not about to do that. Because they needed a higher honoring of the one who made me and the one who called me than that would indicate. The same is true of you. Let me tell one more. Ariel's out here. And, and, and she told me the other day, I was, a couple of weeks ago, she said, you know, when I was just a little kid, I know she's three or four years old. And we're back in the old building over there. And, 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 and she said, you know, I just, you know, I just saw you and said, hey, Joel. You know, and he, she said, 
and I don't remember this, but she said the next weekend you got up and you told all of the parents that they ought not to let their kids call adults by their first name, you know? Sorry, I'm embarrassed, but, but I know what I was going for here. I know what I was going for. See, unless you demand respect from your children, they won't know how to reverence God. And let me tell you where I get that. In 1 John 4.20, it says this. It says he, says he loves his brother, or he loves God, but he hates his brother. He's a liar. Because how can you hate your brother if you don't love your brother who you have seen, how can you love God who you've not seen? Can I just switch that around a little bit? And parents, this is especially important for you. Don't let your children treat you with disrespect because ultimately it's not about you. If they can't respect the authority figure they have, they will never reverence the authority figure they can't see. What you do when you demand respect is you protect their ability to treat God with reverence. Ultimately, it's not about you. It's not about pride. It's about learning that there's no intimacy without respect. And so, as I leave you, Matthew Petty the other day uh, the interviewed a uh, few of us for on a homeless thing. And he said, so you're going... You're doing this, you know, I, I mean, his question was basically, why in the world <laughs> would, you, would you step down from being the senior pastor of one of the largest and most influential churches in the United States and go work with the poor for free, not getting paid anymore? Why would you do that? And, and that's a normal question. You know, there must be something behind this. This is the press, see? There's got to be something behind this. There's got to be a scandal. There, there's got to be some infighting that you're escaping. No. I mean, I want to tell you, no scandal. You won't find any. And, and, and are there tensions in leadership here? Of course. It's the church. And with the controversial subjects that I address, you know, uh, you bet. But that's the church. I'm going because... I don't have to go. I'm going because that's where Jesus went. And so all of us need to understand that if we allow ourselves to be disrespected or if we disrespect others, we're building a pattern that will not allow us to be close to a holy God. And one last thing. When we talk about humility, we've got to understand that humility is not about abasement, you know, or, or embarrassment or, or humiliation. Bowing before someone. I want to, you know the Greek word for bow? And when we think about bowing down to God or being deferential to someone else, 
That doesn't mean counting yourself as less than them. It means that you, the Greek word is praskaneu, praskaneu, and it means this, you lean forward to kiss. Isn't that cool? When we bow, in the, in the oriental way, it was down on your knees, sometimes you're with your head to the ground, sometimes completely prostrate. But the word meant in order to show affection. We humbled ourselves in order to show affection. Part of this prayer is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you like to have a peek of what's going on in heaven right now? Because I can show you. Here it is, Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. And after these things, I looked, this is John, and the, the, has the, he receives the revelation on the Isle of Patmos. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. In other words, after these things and you go to heaven, this is what you're going to see. In the eighth verse, the last part of the eighth verse, there are people surrounding the throne, and this is what they're shouting. They're shouting what we're going to sing in just a few minutes as our closing song. Don't leave. I want you to exalt the Lord with me. It says, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then in verse 10, the last part of this verse, it says, they cast their crowns before the throne. Let me ask you something. Do you understand? When you, when you have righteousness, when you disadvantage yourself for the sake of someone else, you have a crown of righteousness. That's what that is. But who of us would dare to wear that crown in the presence of the King of Kings? These are the elders in heaven. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and, and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and came to be it's important that we treat God with honor it's important that we treat each other with honor if you're a wife it's important that if your husband comes home and he says has some success you don't get it in your mind I got to take him down a peg or two that's a really bad strategy for intimacy Parents, it's important that if you, your children have had, had, had some sort of victory, that you don't bring them back to reality. This is how life really is. Husbands, it's important that you don't get afraid and jealous and therefore try to undercut the confidence of your wife because you will never have the intimacy that you want. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Let me say this, and then, then we'll sing our last song. I was watching one of my favorite movies the other night, My Fair Lady, Audrey Hepburn. Oh, how gorgeous is Audrey Hepburn? That movie was made as a version, as a rendition of an ancient poem by Ovid. And this poem is about this master artist, this sculptor, who swore that he would never marry, never be involved in romantic relationships because it would distract him from his best effort of being an artist. That's where he would have his full focus. But one day, during one period, he sculpted this statue of this woman that was so beautiful, he couldn't stop looking at it. And slowly, he began to fall in love with it. He went to Aphrodite and he asked this goddess of love if she would turn this statue into a real woman so that he could marry her. And he went home and of course he knew that it was foolish, but he went into this studio and he saw the statue. He had an odd idea and he went up to the statue and he kissed it on the lips and the lips became warm and then he kissed the statue again and the statue turned into this woman and he married her. And the reason that that story has lived for century after century is because it tells us a truth about ourselves. We weren't made to chisel one another to perfection. We were made to love and to be loved. We don't have a God that needs to chisel us to perfection. We have a God who loves us and who wants to be loved by us. And that begins with reverence. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this first petition of this most hallowed prayer. We ask you to help us exalt you, not so that we can feel less about ourselves, but so that we can feel more about you, not so that we can be distant, but so that we can be closer. And help us to take that same principle in our relationships with one another, to esteem one another, so that if there's any chance of real closeness, we can have it. Lead us. God, as we exalt you now.
Amen.